0: This is The Essential Guide to Surviving Humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax. Ooh, this could
1: be a humdinger.
0: <laughs> so we are looking at parenting today. This is about us being parents. Yes. I'm going to just start with a quote from Dr Spock, who apparently, and we'll ask our expert later on, all mums in the 60s and 70s and probably 80s used to have this book live by long, Dr Spock. Live Long and Prosper? Was <laughs> that the wrong doctor, Spock? Okay. Not that Doctor Spock. The children who are appreciated what they are, even if they are homely or clumsy or slow, will grow up with confidence in themselves and happy. They will have a spirit that will make the best of all the capacities that they do have and of all the opportunities that come their way. I think what Doctor Spock is saying is that we love a child whatever it brings with all its faults and. Well, sometimes
1: yeah. not always. And
0: I think maybe that is one of the challenges. So. I have never been a parent. Uh, that's not really a choice that I made, but I haven't. So it just I...
1: happened that way, really. Was there a point when you actually decided, I'm obviously not going to be a parent, let it go?
0: Absolutely not, no. You know, it, I kind of come out with the same thing each time, and I'm, I don't really know how true it is, but it's to do with the fact that I really never f- met a man that I thought I could trust enough to bring up our children. Um,
1: so it's a trust issue for you?
0: Well, yeah, I think I'm amazed, really, how many... People bring up children. I think it's such a huge responsibility. So it's partly an element of um, responsibility. Partly, I think it's a cliche, but that my own parents were not good role models. You know, we've talked about this many times. It yes. wasn't not a marriage of love, and I think they had no idea.
1: So you're looking effectively for the antidote to that, where it was a marriage that was based on love. So you knew that whatever child you brought into it was guaranteed to be loved.
0: Yes, because I know because me and my brother were brought up with uh, a marriage. With a lack of love and a lack of natural parenting. Neither my mother or my father were natural parents. They just did not have that gene.
1: That capacity. No. And uh,
0: I wonder whether they regretted it. I always sense that my mother definitely regretted it, that we stopped her career. Oh, you
1: think that in a way that she she blames you for what happened to her life after that Mm -hmm. point?
0: Oh, there was definitely resentment, definitely. She never said it, but she definitely intimated that... That and that was
1: directed for to both children, not just not just you?
0: I would say it was m- much more towards me because right. you know, in me she sees a woman who essentially is free, free of responsibility. It's what <laughs> she could have been. Yes, free to leave the country, free to do whatever she wanted to do. Right. And my mother did that up to the age of thirty eight and had an incredibly full life and then we came along. So yeah, That's I quite think... late, really, 38. Mm, my dad was 44. So again, it was that thing of, um, well, we better do it now or we won't ever be able to do it.
1: I'm um, in full context. My parents didn't have me I was 40, till I was 46, Mm. but of course, I'm I'm an adopted child, so it's kind of a different context there,
0: anyway. Yeah, but that was late, wasn't it? For for both of us, those I remember, we're
1: both absolutely,
0: yeah. And I remember my parents being old compared to other parents and feeling somehow sort of ashamed of that. Somehow,
1: did Um, you want our hanker after the fact that they could throw balls with you in the park mm, and, and
0: all of that? Yeah, and I remember going to other people's birthday parties and seeing their parents and going, Oh, I just want a dad that can do you piggybacks for kids or do, my poor dad did attempt a magic show <laughs> he completely fell flat on his face uh, Were so you
1: horrified or amused when that happened? I
0: was just deeply embarrassed and right. I, I grew up as a little embarrassed girl, I just felt embarrassed so much of the time, and you know, my mother was rude when my friends came round, not when my brother's friends came round, when my, my friends came round she was just an embarrassing mother, uh, and
1: but how was she... She was rude to your friends?
0: She was put on a bit of a show and she would tolerate them for a bit. But it was always... Because I knew her so well, it yes. was forced. It was not a natural welcoming... You know, some mothers that were just so, like... Probably Jewish mothers, you know. Well, they just want to feed your friends and feed yes, you and... absolutely. You know, and, and, and just...
1: Not mine, of course, but no, yes, yeah, yeah, else sort of.
0: So I had lots of friends' mothers who would just look after you and so I and again we're getting a bit into upbringing now but
1: I don't know I'll tell you why it's relevant because the most natural thing in the world is to replicate what you had yet in your case you wanted to replicate almost the opposite of what Mm. you had and in my mind what's held you back from finding a partner is partly because you couldn't find someone that you felt was going to give love and that you would trust to do that and secondly that you couldn't trust them to help provide that for any children you yeah, had. And yeah. that's what's held you back from having children.
0: Yeah. And how do you know? You know, maybe I feel that there's no, an unpredictable, exactly. There's a sort of unpredictability about people, about life. and um, Humans are funny things. They are. And I, 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 there's a sadness because I am a natural motherly person. I'm, and I love children. And when they're around me, um, I just feel there's a sort of lovely natural affinity. So there is a sadness about that. And then I think the next, was next stage was well, there's a point obviously where I talked about in my um one podcast, I can't remember. Well, there was a point where in the tribal wives, yes, that's uh, right, that's where I talked that about that? Was
1: them. by the way, guys, that was the uh, uh you absolutely ram stankingly gorgeous uh podcast that we did about media ma- manipulation. Do mm. do check that one out. Mm. Carry on, sorry. Mm.
0: Well, I think at that point I talked about the fact that I'd lost my identity because I was neither a mother, or that's, a right. Wife. that's right,
1: that's yeah. right, you were in that halfway house point
0: Mm. and there was also a point biologically obviously where i knew that it was too late you know i don't know it for for sure my friend mentioned the american friend mentioned the oh she was a, a something about a change mother so in other words she'd had her First baby during the perimenopausal stage. Right. Maybe that is possible. Yes. But I, yeah, I, I, you know, there's a point where I just thought, I actually biologically can't do it anymore. So nature decides for you, doesn't it?
1: Well, it's time, isn't it? You yeah. know that there's the so called biological imperative and yeah. it only lasts for so long. And then afterwards, when you're going. At the crux, because you're not menopausal yet. You're almost there, but mm. not quite there yet. Mm. And at this point, you realize you probably can't get pregnant even if you wanted to. And
0: then there'll be all sorts of risks, and then ah. I'd be the old mother that yeah. I hated it, having. And, exactly. You know, blah, and suddenly blah, blah. you're
1: repeating history. Yes,
0: yeah. exactly. So I think what I now dream about or would love was to, have, uh, was to meet someone who had children that I could then. <laughs> you know, uh i guess you could give, give out all, all that practice. love i was about to say practice my skills no i tell me. you what
1: you want to give out all that love that you wish had been showered on you
0: yeah 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 you're going to make me quite tearful but um yeah so i have we're
1: analyzing I... where you are now and why it is a that you are unmarried b that you don't have any children and C, what its relevant what relevance you can bring to the uh, a discussion about parenthood mm. and there it is mm. you're full of love you want to give it, but you feel restricted by the fact you can't find a man or a person. That's that's not restricted, I d no. I don't know what we're, we're assuming your sexuality but or your gender. But the point is that you find yourself stuck because you can't find a person with a decent uh, relationship with their own children or that with the inbuilt need to give out love the way you want to, that you feel you can you can hook into, you can you can synchronize with.
0: Yeah. And you know, what comes to mind as well is this um, inner child which Heather wax your wonderful wife yeah we're going to come to her yeah she's great and there's a very common belief that unless you really love your inner child then yes. how can you possibly love another child and I know that I've had to do a lot of healing and I think there is probably a little you know I'm resigned to the fact I have to say resentful but I suppose there has been resentment resentment towards my mother because I think without that influence I would have had children at the age of 30 and uh and been a really good mom I really do believe that it wouldn't have been easy as you know we know but I would have had the chance to
1: but there's still time if you are going to find a person it could quite easily be that you find them in their 40s and their 50s in you know, even their mid 50s and early 60s where they have youngest children that could absorb your love. They won't necessarily resent you for anything more than just being teenagers, which Mm. you have to expect that. (laughs) But that you could be that person. You could Be responsible. You could be a person who gets home just so to be with the children Mm. as opposed to Mm. spends extra time at at college trying to avoid that very
0: task. Yeah, isn't that a lovely way of putting it? You know, wanting to get back to your children. Ah. So I will pass this over to you now because.
1: My aspect on parenthood is is rather different and slightly jaundiced.
0: Yeah, so I just, yeah, so Gareth has a son from his first first marriage. marriage, Yeah, and now is, we were sort of talking about the right term, but a stepfather figure to. Maxine, thinking back to when Leo was first born.
1: Well, if you recall, I'd had a, it was a tumultuous up and down sort of lifestyle involving music and work all at the same time. And that marriage in my mind at the time was me trying to settle down, trying to do that bare bones, build a family. And the focus on that time was the imperative for my parents, which was to find a nice Jewish girl. So my first wife was that nice Jewish girl. She was steadfast. She was a good homemaker. She was a half-decent cook. You know, it was all these things that were the tick, tick boxes yeah. that my parents had laid out, and she fulfilled all of that. She she would have been a good mother. She was a good mother. But what happened was, and I think they call it postpartum depression.
0: Oh, yeah. Postnatal. A, post-natal, postnatal. But yeah. postpartum, I think,
1: is the modern term. But, but she, for the first... Most of the first year—I mean, it was exactly one year—but for a good portion of it, she couldn't handle it, and I was at that time involved in meetings, uh, IT-based, all that sort of stuff. So I ended up carrying him around either as on a backpack. In a sort of not a papoose, but kind of like a bundle next to me, a, and he was like with you're me. Well it though. was it was kind of a it was a bag thing with her, it, it, a, a Moses
0: oh basket, yeah, Moses yes. basket mm. type oh, thing. Oh wow! So
1: yeah, I was carrying it like that. You see, so I had briefcase left hand, Moses basket on the right must in, have in the so meeting. Cool. <laughs> I don't know if I looked cool. I looked frazzled a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. So you weren't sleeping. Mum wasn't really doing much no. to help.
1: Well, she you. was doing. She was trying to, and. The problem was this The more she tried to help The more she was putting herself into a frizz And it was going round in that circle And eventually it sorted itself out
0: Mm. Was that a term that um, Was banded around at that time This whole idea of postnatal depression
1: Kind of It was very much of the post-baby blues uh-huh. and it, don't worry, everybody gets it and you'll get past it and right. everybody can be fine
0: Now it's really looked at as a you know a medical, or mental condition. Yeah. yeah,
1: I think it was some people get it, some people don't, mm-hmm. don't worry, love, you'll get better soon mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. pat on the back have a cup of tea and a biscuit. <laughs> the problem was, I'd never been set up for responsibility My parents were a quizzical mixture of removing responsibility, yet expecting me to step up and take responsibility on the one hand they would take me to school they would take me to performance practice they would take me to this they would take me to that but on the other hand I had to come up with new ideas of how I was going to drive myself forward and so on Mm. so it was kind of a a weird mixture and I don't think I was completely set up and ready frankly to take on the responsibility of a human life Mm. I'm not a kind of person to get scared But I remember I was just really frustrated not knowing what was the right thing to do, constantly questioning Mm. myself.
0: Mm. Whereas Dr Spock and many others would say it's just common sense The baby will teach you what it needs. And I think there is an element of that. But I imagine you weren't able to give your complete full time because your head was sort of elsewhere and the meetings
1: and i was trying to advise on the best applications with regard to information technology mm. and at the same time making sure i had formula boiled up or or breast milk pumped ready to apply at a moment's notice
0: mm. that's that's hardcore it
1: really is yeah. it isn't. is it isn't uh, i sound like super dad i really wasn't mm. and uh if it wasn't for my co-workers who were female helping and advising and And stopping me from collapsing into a muddled heap, I don't think I would have got through that year.
0: That's lovely. You know that quote: "It takes a village to raise a child," and it sounds like somehow you had these women around you who were a sort of extended motherhood that could kind of take on the baby. And the um,
1: irony is, of course, Leo knows nothing of that time because you know when he doesn't take on knowledge until what three four four years old mm,
0: so he was just a muling, a muling thing
1: <laughs> over that time more and more the responsibility passed back to to my first wife she was an exemplary mother and i but she was also very focused on on wanting to have a career and wanting to make sense of the business world so she was really keen on starting up businesses and she wanted a a printing business that i was involved with and and she wanted a a, a therapy business which i was sort of vaguely involved with and it was one thing after another i became i was really an unformed child really Mm. myself Mm. i didn't know what to do with myself so i ended up unfortunately stepping out on her we got back together but it was very difficult and Eventually, she left me, quite mm. rightly. Mm. So, what, what
0: age was Leo at this point?
1: One. So, it was within the first year, by the end of the first year. I did well for a few months. It passed, Baton passed back to her. Mm. She took it on. She did brilliantly. I think her family rallied round her too. And eventually, we split up. I would see Leo every week, certainly until he was about three or four.
0: And what was that like?
1: <sighs> it was really odd. I was like a bachelor with a child. It was kind of odd. Wonderful in parts. Frustrating in others. I don't think I knew what I was doing. I don't think I did it very well. I have to say, guys, Leo is one of the most well-balanced people I've yet to meet. And that's not just fatherly pride, although I'm excessively proud of him. It's just he seems to take everything on and just deal mm. and uh, very few people that seems to be able to take it during this covid nonsense he's one of the few people i knew who got headhunted for a new job and is still happy and, and at home
0: mm. so what's the lesson there because i was going back to initially i rem- it reminded me a bit of my parents well i think
1: i picked <clears throat> very good first wives and the reason yeah. why i say this is because i think she did an excessively brilliant job of bringing up leo mm. because during the time i wasn't there she was in his corner and doing all the things that a wife does.
0: Yeah, and I think one journey would have involved two career-orientated people, very much like my parents, where uh, having a child was just getting in the way, whereas actually you decided to split. But
1: interestingly enough, shortly after, shortly within the first 12 months, 16 months, after we'd split, she decided she was going to take control of her life. And she enrolled in courses, and she started learning, and she went on to a degree... And a few years later, she got her degree, she did a PG, uh, PGCE, she, and she became a teacher. So you said that he's... She soared, she whereas before, when we were together, she was the housewife and I was mm. the breadwinner mm. and the rest of it. Uh, upon le- leaving me, in a bizarre kind of way, the achievements of motherhood and seeing what she was capable of somehow gave her the impetus to become better. I, I'm, I had nothing to do with any of this. But you know what? She was an exemplary mother, she still is. And Leo got some of her industriousness, hopefully a little bit of my quirky humour, and is making his way in the world despite that rocky start.
0: Well, I'm just thinking about that rocky start because when we did our upbringing session, we talked about the first five years being the most important. But the naught to one is all about you know, the oral. Uh, aspect of things. yeah, And I think the fact that he just kind of was taken along with you, there was no massive pressure on him, you know, it was like he kind of had to adapt somehow and probably in lots of ways took on some of that. Okay, well, I've got to self soothe probably because dad's, you know, he's here some other time, not some other time. Mum's pretty good, but that ability to sort of self soothe. No,
1: when, when I was with him, I was with him mm. pretty much 100%. But I wasn't with him as much as I should have been, by any means. And also, once I started finding girlfriends, my focus was on them. And then, particularly, my next relationship didn't really want me to spend a whole lot of time around my son. He didn't mind it every so often. It would be a, a weekend. But it would be a, a weekend in three
0: mm.
1: or a weekend in four.
0: Yeah, but he wasn't made to feel the number one, you know, in, in the in the relationship. Okay. And I think yeah. that's, it could go either way, but it sounds like it went really well. He wasn't number one, he had to accept that he was number two, number two priority for mum and for dad for early, the early time. But it was
1: my second wife that didn't, I, not she didn't help, but it was, she actually stopped a number of things in my life. She didn't really want to have a whole lot to do with Leah, and she didn't want to have a whole lot to do with my music. And so both of them in a way, went on hold, and at that point, uh, when he was, well, this is what, 15, 16, 17, 18 years ago now, so that would have made him 10, he and I kind of moved apart from each other a bit. Mm -hmm. And it was only when I married my third wife, the one I've been with for 15, nearly 16 years, Mm -hmm. that all of those, I wouldn't call them rifts, but distance, started healing and coalescing. And it's been fundamental to the whole thing that his relationship with Heather, because they have a similar sense of humour, similar sensibilities, and she kind of interprets him in a way I just don't seem capable mm, of. Mm. Maybe that's partly to do with, with my autism, I don't know. But the truth of the matter is, Heather has been my saviour in all of this.
0: Mm. Well, I know there's been a time when you were beside yourself, because it felt like, it felt like and we now realise that perhaps just Leah was so busy, With his life, that you know, you were going to lose that father-son relationship, and I know you've started to rekindle that recently. Um, Well, it was,
1: it wasn't like it needed rekindling. It wasn't like it was out of kindling that the fire had gone out. It was almost like it it was. It was like the smouldering remains had been put filed in a cabinet and left there smouldering away, but not really going anywhere, and certainly not about to burst into flames. And it was with Heather's encouragement and also with her giving me the ability to see perspective, which I sometimes find it difficult because I'm not great with social cues. My catastrophizing, I think, is what Heather calls it, when I assumed the absolute worst, when in fact, as you say, he'd just been very busy. To put this in context, Leo had come out as gay some uh, years ago in a most off-key kind of way and i'd kind of known it for a long time and it wasn't a big deal frankly he'd started his first major gay relationship oh, uh, last two years i'm sorry and he'd also taken on a new job a new role which i think is relatively senior in that role and he's very busy
0: mm. did he come out to you recently not really i used
1: to ask him obviously as parents too so have you met anyone before we'd ever discussed sexuality of any kind and he would go dad is just not really on my radar. I'm just having fun at the moment. Mm. And then later on, I'd say, so do you like boys? Do you like girls? What, what, what is it? And he said, I don't know. And I'm not that co- concerned at the moment. I'm just loving being around my friends. Mm. I mean, it was notable that 90% of his friends were women and he was just flouncing around and he was ever more and more flouncing. But he is delightful. And mm. it's the heart and soul, but at the same time, intelligent, introspective and compassionate. Mm.
0: But you're clearly a very proud dad, and that's. Well,
1: you see, yes, rec- I recognise in him things I don't really have in great abundance. I'm, I'm not great at compassion. Mm. I, I'm, I'm okay at empathy, but I fight, I struggle with it.
0: Mm. And, and he's gone into a teaching type, educational type. Well, hasn't? yes,
1: he he's been through. He's been a teacher. He's done that as far as I can see, very well. And then out the other side of it he's actually now in a role that helps people become teachers Mm. he kind of guides them so there needs to be quite a responsibility and at this at this time now when we hardly have a dearth of teachers Mm. he's jumping in there and helping and working hard and Mm. and doing exceptionally well
0: and you need to have a huge amount of I guess self-knowledge self-awareness authenticity to be a good teacher and I'm the fact that he's come out that he's you know had an up and down relationship with his dad I think it's I think what this says is that there's no real right way, and I think that's what um, I'm you know, going to talk to Heather about. Is there a perfect way of parenting? Of course there isn't. Uh, it should of... be
1: said, he would had seen some, uh, I think he had some counselling at some mm. point, mm. and uh, there was a period of time, I think a year or two, where we'd stopped talking altogether while he was trying to reconcile things.
0: Mm. Well, again, that shows to me that he had a very good self-awareness and that he wanted to do something about whatever, you know, troubles or issues he was struggling with. And rather than put them away somewhere, he decided to face them. And I mean, I used to thing. feel
1: almost resentful when he'd phone me up and the only thing he really wanted to talk about was, you know, I've got uh, I've got money owing for my birthday or, you know, things like that.
0: Mm. And at this time... Was this something that had come out of the counselling?
1: No, this is well before. This is before the counselling. Mm. After the counselling, I'd ring up and we'd talk about nothing in particular mm. and about everything. Mm. And it just felt natural. Um, I think he only talked about those only things because he dismissed any possibility of being familial or close to me on those other topics. So he just spoke about the... Mm. The pecuniary aspect of our relationship, and nothing more. But once you have got through that conversation between us, is easy now.
0: So you've you've done good, essentially having you know we we talked. I have to say
1: it's down to two women: one in my life and not one not in my life. But those two women have enabled me to have a relationship with myself. You've
0: done good in that you can talk in this way about your son, who you are now in communication with. You're proud of him; he's done well. So, you know, I want to give you a bit of a yeah. Uh, you know round of applause because I haven't even gone there and I think just to even no but
1: you did it you the the reasons why you haven't gone there are honorable and good and the reason why you haven't gone there about the fact that you don't want to see a replication of your own childhood
0: yeah but you know you you haven't replicated your even despite everything you no actually yeah that's a good point actually
1: because as dealt with in a previous podcast guys if you want to check out some of the other podcasts you'll hear all about this my mother and father, like yours, heavily academic, my father just wanted to disappear into his rooms and just invent and draw. And it's amazing how much
0: we've got in common in that yeah. way. Yeah,
1: <laughs> and my mother just wanted to teach children or work with them because she was an educational psychologist and test me and, and all those things. Yes,
0: he was, he was hanging over your shoulder. And, yes. and I knew what, we, what you did is you gave Leo space. So I want to move on to the next stage of parenting for you, sure. which is um with Maxine. Max. So let's Now this
1: is an interesting one. Yes. Now just so everybody understands it, there have been three phases. One, I met Heather. And we formed a relationship that was initially flirty and fun and the sort of it. And then we moved into the point where we were serious. So at this point, if you can imagine, I was living in Edgware. She was living in Essex. And she was travelling up and down every day to see me.
0: And she had a son at this point?
1: She had a son. And I'd been introduced to him briefly. But it, it was very much he lived his, his life. And, and they lived their lives together. And I lived my life with her. And, and I, I wasn't... Is... He was about... Seventeen,
0: eighteen. Oh, I see. So already very much a, a formed adult. He was a formed adult, but there were f- parts
1: of this. He had no known sexuality per se. He hadn't decided what he wanted to do. He was doing a job that he, although he enjoyed, it was... He was working in a, in a bicycle shop as an assistant manager and although he was doing activities and he enjoyed it, he didn't feel like he had a direction per se. And I'm not saying how a job direction is important. It's just having a direction in life helps.
0: And did you keep those feelings to yourself at the time?
1: The feelings of...
0: Oh, he's just got this job in a bicycle shop and doesn't really know where he's doing. No, staying. I was...
1: I Look, I, I was getting to know him. He was this young man that I... That was associated indirectly with me via... A woman who i was falling in love with mm-hmm. roll on to perhaps a year or two later he's going through a tumultuous time because his father his birth father who only lived five or ten minutes away is intentionally or unintentionally disavowing him in the sense that he does avoids contact
0: so hard so hard Rick.
1: because i think we're going to bring heather into this fairly soon but there was a it was a hard time for him. He was dealing with a lot of internal anger and resentment. And here was I on the verge of becoming a pseudo extra father figure, but potentially. So I think I perhaps caught a little bit of that indirectly, mm. not so much flack, but almost collateral damage mm. in the sense that he had anger and resentment towards father figures in general. And here was a man potentially going to come into his life and take away the only maternal thing that he loved mm. and his I mum. know
0: yeah and i know that heather and um then greg have or have always had an incredibly strong bond and i know he's very protective of his mother always has been Wants a happiness but he's a protective young man as so many young men are of their mothers
1: i always call them mummy bear and uh, and baby bear mm. in the sense that if i push baby bear or nudge him or say anything towards her him We'll talk about that in a minute. Mummy Bear comes out and, and in full force. And that can sometimes be brilliant and can sometimes hinder. Mm. But the truth of the matter was, at this stage, he hadn't come out. And then he decided, he realised he, there was something different about him. He wasn't sure what it was. And he came out to us as gay. Mm-hmm. He came out to Heather, of course, and then later on to me.
0: And you're a very open-minded person.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was no big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, to, me, uh, to me, sexuality is just it's a big long sliding scale and we're all on that sliding scale and mm-hmm. some of us can slide up and down certain portions of it and some of us are more fixed at one end or the other some of us feel like we should be in one place when in fact we're the other
0: and that was what you you know i remember you talking to me about greg about is that he kind of felt like he wasn't in the right skin somehow
1: yes he felt not dysmorphic at that stage very much more that he'd been pretending or trying to pretend that he was interested in girls and uh, to quote him he wasn't interested in the hee and the hoo-hoos you know i'm mm. pointing to the top and bottom he he just he really he wasn't sure what he was interested when in, you wasn't that mm. so he assumed he was gay mm. um and he started a series of relationships which were mostly he was a very pretty very pretty man and um men and women were constantly wanting to flock around him. He started working in a clothes shop in Camden, a famous one called Cyberdog. He was dressing a certain way, cyberpunky. He was very thin. He was Turned a out a big
0: Mohican when I first met yes,
1: him. Yes, he had. But interesting enough, back then, back then, very thin, very gaunt. Um, he'd moved in with a whole bunch of friends who had moved out from us. Um, I didn't realize he just not really was was wasn't making ends meet. Was drinking enormous amount of alcohol. Mm-hmm. I found this all out later, and wasn't eating properly.
0: And at the time, then, if this was all going on without your knowledge and Heather's knowledge as well, without her knowing,
1: um, none of us, none of us knew this. Mm. So he was, he was, he was having a party lifestyle. Uh, do you know? In many ways, I wish I'm glad he did because it I had, i was I'd had say, that.
0: There's a, there's a lot
1: parallel that, there. Well,
0: yeah, there's a lot parallels between because I f-
1: drank excessively. Yeah. I'd, Dabbled in everything else excessively. I know
0: because you've talked about a complexity around your own sexuality. So it's really interesting that even though initially perhaps it seemed like this was too.
1: I'm not advocating the excessive use of drink or drugs. None of that. I'm just saying that the fact that I'd been through a portion of this, a lot of this before, meant that I understood that perhaps it was a phase. But he. Needed to experience something, mm. and he was taking. Actually, do you know what is now? Rolling a few years doesn't do any of those things. No. Not interested. It's not you, and, for, not and for again, me.
0: There's a similarity because you're not really interested either. No, not at all. Right. And the
1: interesting thing is, it's not through either Heather or myself nagging or pushing or digging. Just come to uh, their own conclusions. Now, an interesting thing has been happening over the last year or two. She'd known for a long time that it wasn't just being gay. It was about something else. And that something else meant she didn't know what it was. I'm not going to talk for her, but eventually she came out as as trans and decided, decided to make it known that she didn't feel that her body was hers. She wanted to not feel this way, didn't want to present this way and that's when she became Maxine mm-hmm. and
0: this is quite recent isn't very it very recent mm.
1: and i what a, what i applaud the very act of being so brave as to take what is let's face it the first few steps in what is quite a long and involved journey that involves pain uh, the disinterest of the nhs the your the your the, the beck and call of consultants there are multiple points in this journey where someone can come around and effectively refuse your right to passage to the mm, next mm. next step she's yeah. taken this on in uh, amazingly
0: and i can really hear your passion and your compassion so for someone who says he doesn't really experience no i feel pride
1: i'm mm. good at feeling pride and i'm very proud of max mm.
0: and i would say again forgive me that this could be about your parenting, and stop me before, you know, don't stop me, is that... You, I, I, I
1: feel like I'm not allowed to parent Max.
0: Well, I think what, what you've given him is space, her. Wait a no, I think we're, we're going to...
1: Ha- okay, let do that again.
0: Yeah, I think what you've given her is space and absolute non-judgment. And I think as a parent, oh my God, what could be more of a gift is to say, we accept you, and I think that very first quote is actually about that we accept you whatever you decide to do whatever journey you decide to take we say yes to it and you and Heather have that beautiful gift of just going yeah whatever it is we love you
1: well I'm pragmatic to a T and so my focus is once you've identified what the issue is All right, draw a line move on Mm. and the problem I've found is people who can't draw a line and they want to cycle around whatever it was that was the problem revisit it holding up and hold it up to the light and, and point at it again and again I think and again. Max and again. Has had to
0: do in an, an enormous amount of what you are just talking about is looking to at his own identity, looking in the mirror and going, "This is not. This is still not me." And so I think there's an element of Max that's had to do um, a lot of stripping down of what society wants him to be, of what her stripping down of what society wants her to be. Um, and again, I just want to emphasise that I think. Any parent who's listening to this, um, more and more, I think, the whole gender question will be coming up well, much I think,
1: more. I mu- think the one thing you have to accept... Uh, but much more you can... than
0: it did in our Oh, in yeah, our absolutely, DNA.
1: because I'll tell you why. Gender and sex were one and the same thing when we were kids. We didn't think there was any difference between the two.
0: And I'm what... not even sure, Gareth, that I would be able to describe to someone who knows nothing about this... It, I wouldn't be able to articulate what the different genders are. Well, I can transit. tell you. I, I can
1: tell you from the perspective of what I've read, of both sides. So everything from the the trans camp all the way through to the Jordan Peterson camp, which is more the right wing, sort of, you know. So the concept is is quite simply this: sex is what defines you by your genitalia and what your capacity to to reproduce and all the rest of it. And you can change that by removing things and moving things around. And then you can call yourself a male or female. However, gender is a construct which is defined by society or even by yourself. So if at the very logical extreme, I could tell you that I've decided from here on in, I no longer am of a male gender. I'm going to be... Female gender, so I would ever
0: refer to you as her
1: exactly, mm-hmm. and that would be my pronoun, mm-hmm. as it were.
0: So a lot of it is about pronouns, absolutely, that, yeah. and
1: it's I th- it's not it is a point of order, and it sounds a bit tried. It sound also sounds a bit contrived, but truth to tell, as a person who might be feeling and struggling within their own body because they see themselves as different from the way they display, the pronouns are super comforting. They make them feel that they somehow got a handle on it. Yeah. somehow got a control on the proceedings.
0: I know that someone on my counselling course um, who I saw as a she wanted us to refer to her, wanted us to refer to her as a they.
1: Yes, this is about, I believe, being either gender neutral or non binary. So non binary is what you don't ascribe to be one thing or another, because binary is either like zero or one, isn't it? So it's either male or female. And they're saying actually I'm something else, mm. but I don't want to specify what it is. Mm. So that's just non-binary. That was
0: tricky trying to remember to refer to as a. They, yeah, I
1: find it. They. I find they. Although um, Max pointed out to me that actually they has been being used since uh, hundreds of years for in literature. Even I think even Shakespeare used. It's more thy,
0: isn't it? Thy. No,
1: it's they as well. Really? Yes. So w- when when they're trying to be non-specific about whether w- what gender they are. You know, so as to hold suspense, they refer to them as they.
0: Mm-hmm. So,
1: because sometimes you can ruin a plot just by identifying wh- which which gender they belong to.
0: Okay, well that's that's something I've learned today. There you go. Let's come to a conclusion. I think what we've talked about is the fact that there's no perfect way to bring up a child. It's a little bit of hit and miss. And And not only
1: that, but even if you're telling yourself, I can see that I'm going wrong and it's all going to go horribly wrong and in later life, this child is going to resent me and hate me. Actually, not necessarily so. Mm.
0: So it's a bit hit and miss. I hope that there's enough hits to make the child come out okay.
1: But Mm. it's not a sole job, you see. The reason why Leo if I can call it, is, is a success. The reason why I would say Max is a success is because there have been other strong influences other than mine that have really helped steady the course.
0: Mm. Well, yeah, but it's still a, a job of some kind. It's, it involves work. And
1: I would call myself a bit like a social media influencer. I've tried to put in bits and pieces to help steady the, co- steady the course, but it's actually, as I said, a group effort.
0: But I think there's another quote, Mr. Spot, that says the child has the power, but you do the steering. And I think that's really beautiful, is to respect the child as a human being. And that's interesting, isn't it? A human being. So it's constantly being. So we are going to call in now Heatherwax, who... Although I think Gareth has come across as being actually a pretty good father figure in the space he's given his two, his children. one boy and his one girl. Full of children. Girl. Yes. Two children. His children. We're going to talk to someone who Gareth describes as the expert on. Um... Well,
1: she's an expert in the sense that there are so many reasons why Heather is, a, is, is an expert in this field. Now, obviously, she was 16 years looking after Greg, uh, Greg and then obviously now Max. Yeah. There's parts to what she's doing, which I'm sure she'll talk about, where she's interfaced with children in other aspects that give her a different uh, perspective that I could never possibly bring.
0: So this has been part one of parenting. In part two, we will be talking to Heather Wax, who is Gareth's darling wife, and she's going to be giving us a pretty expert perspective on parenting. This has been The Essential Guide to Surviving Humanity with Michelle Frost and Gareth Wax.